Amen. This morning we're at John chapter 20, verse 1. John chapter 20, verse 1. Happy Resurrection Sunday to all of you. It's good to see you. Ruth and I are enjoying being here. We, we love the music. You folks know how to sing. We like that. That's good. If I were you, I would nail the feet of Zach and Katie to the floor. Actually, just nail Katie to the floor. Zach will stay. Is that good enough? All right. But we love the music. We love your singing. While you're finding John chapter 20, verse 1, we ask prayer for our family. My son, age 43, was in the hospital this week with heart trouble. He's the fourth generation of our family to experience this at a young age. I had two heart attacks and a stroke at age 51. My mother and her dad had the same problem. And now my son at 43. We really need for my son to do well because he's got five children. That might be part of the problem. <laughs> Just saying, all right? But we covet your prayers. His name is John. And we would ask you to pray for him. I love the way you do Easter here. No fall to raw, no fireworks, no big displays. Just... We just come in, we sing the songs, and we tell the story. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to tell the story of the resurrection. Ruthie's going to read to us from John chapter 20, verse 1. She's going to read the story, and then I will tell the story with some explanation. So, Ruthie, would you come and read for us and pray? Would you please stand for the reading of the word? Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came, following him, and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw, and he believed. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, you are a great God, a gentle shepherd, a beautiful Savior and a Holy Spirit. We see and we believe that truly you are the Son of the living God. Amen. Amen. We start the story with Mary Magdalene. Magdala was a town situated on the Mediterranean, on the Sea of Galilee. It was famous for fishing, boat building, wealth, And it was famous for its depravity. And it was that later trait that had a devastating effect on its most famous citizen in history. Mary somehow got in with the wrong crowd, started a downward slide, and eventually became possessed by seven demons. 
Her life became a continuous tragedy. But one day, a man looked deep into her soul and cast those seven demons out of her. She decided she would devote the rest of her life to him. She followed Jesus in his travels. She donated money to his cause to help him. And then she endured the agony of seeing him tried as a criminal and sentenced to die. It took a lot of courage to show continual love to a crucified man, but that is precisely what Mary did. She felt she had to be near Jesus. Her life had become a pure spiritual romance of devoted love to Jesus. Pure spiritual romance. Do you have that type of relationship with the Lord? Do you love Him? It's a spiritual romance. All the disciples except John had fled in terror from the cross, but she stayed at the foot of the cross despite the danger, and then she followed Joseph and Nicodemus to see precisely where Jesus was buried. On Saturday... She remembered the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But as Sunday dawned, she took the first opportunity to visit Jesus' tomb. It was still dark. There had been an earthquake that morning. And unfriendly Roman soldiers were guarding the tomb. But despite danger, Mary could not be deterred. The object of her love had been deemed a criminal, but she could not forget him. He had taken seven demons out of her. And she felt she had to do something. There wasn't much she could do, but she could at least show loyalty. She could bring spices to cover the body and the odor some. And she could shed tears to show that this despised, rejected man was still loved. But her mission of mercy suddenly became a nightmare of horror. The cross was agony enough, but now... Foul violators had snatched the most sacred thing that she could think of. His body was gone. His enemies wouldn't even allow him a decent burial. Crucifying him unclothed, humiliating him was not enough. Now they had stolen his body. It was a blow hard enough to make the bravest heart totter. And so horrified, she did all she knew to do. She ran for help to Jesus' two best friends. Now, it's good to see Peter and John together. Remember last time we saw Peter where he was? He cursed, remember? He knew if he cursed, no one would accuse him of being a friend of Jesus. He went about as low as he could go. He denied the master. The rooster crowed. He went out and wept bitterly. Now, this is just several hours later. Do you notice? John is with him. John had to go find him. John helped pull him up. There are some of you right now, you have friends and family who are not here today. And you know exactly why. You know what the event was. You know what happened. You know how they got hurt. You know what caused them to fall. I'm grateful that when Peter started climbing back up out of the hole, John was there to take him by the hand and pull him up. Peter needed John. Does somebody need you? Probably so. Startled at Mary's horrifying report, Peter and John did the only thing they knew to do. They ran to the tomb to check it out for themselves. They had a foot race, and John, who was a little bit faster, won the race, but 
He was too timid to go into the tomb because he had been standing at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. He, he, he remembered how mutilated the body was. He remembered how ugly it was. And he just couldn't bring himself to run into the tomb because now it's even later. What did it look like now? And so John, he just sort of stops at the edge of the tomb. He peeks in, but he refuses to go in. He just, he just couldn't stand the thought of going in with that body in there. Well, John had outrun Peter, but now Peter outdared John. John looked without entering. Peter entered without looking. Impetuous Peter did not hesitate at all. This is his chance to redeem himself in the eyes of his disciples. Somebody had to take charge. And if you doubt who is in charge, ask Peter. He will tell you who's in charge. He was always in charge. Everything he did, he was the boss. Everything. He's impulsive, and he's going to become now the primary investigator. So while John is standing at the doorway, he runs around him, runs right into the tomb, and suddenly stops in his track, and Luke says he saw something that gave him a sense of wonder. Now what was it? It was true that the body was gone, as Mary said, but that wasn't the wonder. The wonder was that the grave clothes had been left in orderly fashion. The small cloth that had been carefully folded and put over Jesus' face had been carefully handled, folded up, rolled unto itself. The linens were there, laid aside. The tomb displayed a decorum of dignity. The atmosphere was serene. It was perfectly calm. It looked like somebody had gotten out of bed after a night's rest and then made their bed. So, it's time to start doing some investigating here. And Peter's the lead investigator, so here's some of the possible thoughts he could have had. Could friends maybe have come and taken the body somewhere else? No. Jesus could not have had a better grave. He's buried in a rich man's sepulcher. Also, no friend is going to take the body of Jesus unclothed into the city of Jerusalem. All right? What about grave robbers? Were grave robbers the culprits? No. If it were grave robbers, they would have taken the linens and left the body. Especially since the linens were fine and new. And also, thieves do not set things right before they leave. Their mark is chaos. Not friends, not grave robbers, maybe ruffians. Just people who wanted to come and further desecrate Jesus' body. No. They would have snatched the prey and run. They'd have taken the whole load. They wouldn't take the time to stop they would have taken the grave clothes off later somewhere else. Peter's assessing this situation, trying to figure this thing out. The body's gone. Everything is orderly. No sign of haste or fear. So here's Peter, awestruck, totally speechless. He could not figure it out. John, still standing at the door now because Peter was bold enough to go in, he finally gets his courage up and he steps in. And he mentally photographed the tomb's interior. Sixty years later, when he wrote the account that Ruthie just read a few moments ago, the sight was still vivid in his mind. He could still see it as if he were right there at that moment. He too saw what Peter saw. He saw the linens and the napkin folded neatly nearby. He saw no traces of haste or fear. He had to draw some conclusions. Friends? Nah. Grave robbers? Nah. Ruffians? No. Then who? 
So here's Peter and John, the two lead investigators now. And John has a thousand questions, I'm sure, whirling through his mind. And he begins to ponder. He begins to study. He's in the tomb of his best friend. And he begins to wonder. Who would leave grave clothes behind as if to say he would never need them again? In a cold, barren tomb, who would give methodical attention to little details? Who would hate to leave a borrowed tomb untidy? Who would leave behind order in the land of confusion? And who would leave a napkin for his people to dry their tears when they cried? That, see, that napkin was the last token of love that had been put on his body. It was the last thing that was put on the body. And our Lord, when he got up, I guess he looked around and he said, Well, somebody was kind enough to do that. And so he took time to show respect and reverence for it. And so John is standing here in the tomb of his best friend. He's trying to assess what's going on. And all of a sudden, something begins to stir in John that's not stirring in Peter. John begins to wonder, what, what if? Could it be Mary said they have taken him, but what if it is not they what if it is he? Has he done for himself what he did for Lazarus, for Jairus' daughter, and for the widow's son at Nain? And so assessing the data, John made the bold verdict based on the evidence. He knew Jesus was alive somewhere. What John saw in the tomb was just like Jesus. And John recognized the style of his best friend as easily as you recognize the handwriting of your dear friend. And all of a sudden, John knew that he was standing on holy ground. That little tomb became the world's greatest and smallest cathedral. And from that tomb, life everlasting came. Because Jesus had defeated death, now he can come and defeat death. And the importance of that little spot is, since Jesus is not in the tomb... That means he's here in this room. And it means he can come and live in your heart. That's the whole purpose of the resurrection. He has defeated death. That we might go from being worried about hell and worried about being separated from God. That we might move from that into life. And the reason he left the tomb was so he could enter you. The reason he left that place was so he could be here. And maybe today there's someone who would like to receive him right now. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe something has been said in the music, or the praying, or the preaching. Something has caused you to say, yes, I'm ready. I'm ready to receive the Lord. And if you want to do that, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. Now, this prayer is not magic. It will not do anything magical for you. But sometimes we just need something that we can get our hands on, a handle that we can get a hold of and say, I do want to follow Jesus and maybe this prayer will help you pull your thoughts together and make you have peace in trying to come to know Him. And if that's the case, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if this prayer says what you need to say, I'm going to ask you to repeat it silently as I pray it out loud, phrase by phrase. Here it is. 
Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Come live in my heart. I receive you as the master of my life. Amen. All right, everyone, would you look right here at me? 